I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i am your host jessica dwyer and tonight's episode is jam-packed with interviews actually we have two sets of interviews for you it's an extra long episode and i hope you enjoy it and uh first up is the man from the drive-in mr joe bob briggs aka john bloom and um, it was a fantastic time talking to Joe Bob, as always. Uh, and he's here to talk about his new book, which you have to check out, as well as all things under the sun, including the crazy political climate we have right now and just all the stuff, including talking about the late, great Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, following Joe Bob, we have Mike Neal and Greg Anson from the Drive-In Horror Show. And they are here to talk about a new contest that they have started, um, actually just started today, uh, where you can win some great prizes and uh, get some amazing stories. So set back, relax. I'm so excited for this episode. Um, it's an extra long one, so s- Settle in and enjoy this all-interview episode of the Fangirl Radio Broadcast. And we will see you next week. Here comes Joe Bob. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome the awesome Joe Bob Briggs, a.k.a. Mr. John Bloom, back to Fangirl Radio. After a long absence, we have missed you. I've only been on your show like 17 times. I never. Do you like I, mind wipe me when you do that? Or what is it, a roofie? Is it something when you show up? Because I don't remember 17 visits. And that kind of concerns I, me. <laughs> I almost never do podcasts because I, ne- I, I never understand. When people ask me to do them, I never understand what they're talking about. It'll be like a podcast on, on uh, insecticides in zimbabwe or something and i say and you want to talk to me why and <laughs> it's like because <laughs> when i think zimbabwe i think i think you know guys from texas that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i get a lot of i get a lot of requests for podcasts and it's always like what's your podcast about and it's like um uh everything we talk about everything <laughs> oh well that's a good topic <laughs> That, yeah, let me let me it's let me like vague that out a little write a bit paper more. On everything in school, it's like automatic F. So I don't know. <laughs> I can have a podcast on everything. Yeah, good luck. Good luck researching beforehand what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'm I'm actually got I got a, a range of topics, but it's not everything. I think it's things that you you specifically have some opinions on. I'm pretty sure. Um, so I'm I'm going to keep. What it is it? How how do you promote your? All, all I know is it's the Jessica podcast. I don't know what the, <laughs> the, what the topic podcast. is. What's the, what, what, how do you promote your podcast? I should know. I should be informed before I well um boy i could tell you so many different things that are completely untrue and you would be terrified right now wouldn't you <laughs> no um so it's demonic fangirl yes that's pretty accurate actually <laughs> i've met some of those demonic fangirls many of them your friends oh yeah. no so no i i, I, I do not, i do not take responsibility for anything that happens to you at convictions i really do not <laughs> No, we're we're not we're not even going there anymore. <laughs> we're not even going back to the convention thing. Oh my god. <laughs> you always bring it up and I'm like, he's gonna say he's gonna make it sound so just wrong and, and I'm gonna end up getting divorced and it's just not gonna be okay. Uh no. But um so our and show, it just gets worse. It does, because every year, like, I, I somehow, it's like a David Lynch movie in my head. And it keeps, there's like a midget now in there, and I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, it's uh, a good story. <laughs> so this show, I actually... Uh, because you, uh, you're like, I've made, made no bones about this. You are like one of my idols. I grew up watching you. And you are just one of the most cool, well-informed, opinionated, and well-read guys that I've grown up, you know, reading, watching you. You were on The Daily Show. It's just amazing and all the stuff that you've done. And you, you wrote a book about the art of the deal before anybody realized how much of an article, an, an article. Or an article. I was, an article. I was making fun of what a doofus Donald Trump was, <laughs> like back in 1988 or something like that, you know, before even anybody outside Manhattan knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man ahead of your time. It's well, and, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, too. Um, but the first thing I really wanted to talk to you about was you just released a really interesting book. Um, called Eccentric Orbits that is just about something I never even realized. And I, I've got to know, I got to ask you, what got you interested in this? It's about the Iridium satellite fiasco that Motorola had. Um, I got interested in it because uh, I met the guy who saved the satellites. Um, it was the largest, most complex engineering project and satellite system ever put into space. And nobody's ever heard of it because, because nine months after it went up, uh, the company went bankrupt and Motorola tried to crash it into the ocean. <laughs> and um, no, no American corporation was willing to step up and save it. And the government wasn't willing to step up and save it. And so this one... Um, retired businessman who was playing golf in Palm Beach, Florida, um, uh, saved it almost single-handedly. Um, and it still flies, the satellite constellation still flies today. So it's, um, it's an underdog story. It's a really, really strange story about something that happened during the Clinton administration <laughs> that, um, 
sort of like a secret history, something that's never been never been told. It involves Russia and China and the CIA and 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 um, uh, all kinds of people that worked in the Pentagon and 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 uh, the MITRE Corporation. If you've ever heard of the MITRE Corporation, they're always the people that invented the internet. Um, they're always uh, part of conspiracy theories, you know, about what they really do, you know. Um, anyway, the, 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 uh, it's a, it's a rollicking good read. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I mean, I <laughs> For was... anybody that's interested in, in uh, space or satellites or, um, uh, complicated, uh, government, uh, 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 intrigue, um, and spies, and, and so uh, I, I just got interested in it, and man, I thought I was going to like be able to do it in a year, and um, uh, I, I had to file this Freedom of Information Act request um, for all the Clinton documents, and um, the good news is... They they sent me a letter saying we have seventeen thousand pages of documents. Oh my god! Um, pertaining to your subject matter. Uh, the bad news is they kept not releasing them. They kept saying, <laughs> "Well, Clinton has to read them first. And I was like, "What? He's not going to read seventeen thousand pages of documents." And then, oh, and also, Obama has to read them too. And then. All these agencies that are mentioned in the documents, they have to approve them, and they have to be declassified, and all all this stuff. So I'm like, what? But I said, but I am going to get them, right? <laughs> yeah, but we don't really know when, you know. And so I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, lo and behold, they released 16,000 of the 17,000. There were 1,000 that they held back for national security reasons and privacy reasons and um, the person might be assassinated reasons and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, so I was like, wow. And um, I, I went to the Clinton library. I had to go to the Clinton library to look at all these documents. Now, you, you probably, like everybody, you love downtown Little Rock, right? Everybody <laughs> loves downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, if you've never, you've probably been to the Clinton Library. Every Everybody has. It's like a major American tourist attraction. It, it's a rite of passage. So, so, <laughs> so you know that the architect who designed the Clinton Library, it's on this old abandoned railroad railroad yard that they fixed up next to the Arkansas River. And the architect that designed it, put it up on stilts and made it long and narrow. And so the locals immediately said, well, it looks like a trailer house up on blocks. And so they started calling it Bill's Double Wide. So if you go to Little Rock, they don't call it the Clinton Library. They call it Bill's Double Wide. And so I was was at Bill's Bill's Double double Wide for about five weeks because you can only go in there at nine in the morning and then they kick you out at lunch and and they kick you out again at four thirty. And so um <laughs> most of the time I was in there it was just it was just me and um and they watch you like a hawk. 
man, they stare at everything you're doing. Like, oh <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, it was just me and, uh, some guy from the Republican national committee. Um, <laughs> nice. I don't know what he was researching, but you know, he, he was, he was, he was hard at it every day. He was looking for emails. That's what he used to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God. Oh my Lord. The, the, I think you need to make a movie about you writing the book. I think that sounds fantastic. Oh, I know. Did you know that it's like, it's a, it's a federal crime to, if you have a staple document and you're trying to scan it, to to crimp the corner of the document so you can get to page two. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> are you to, serious? You're supposed to go up to the library. Don't call them librarians either. They're <laughs> archivists. Go up to the archivist. You're supposed to go up to the archivist and have her, it's usually a her, occasionally it's a he, have her remove the staple officially remove the staple and then go back to your oh go back to your desk and resume scanning and this can this can take forever and so um finally i said to this particularly sympathetic archivist who was there one day i said look you know uh these 17,000 documents um there's only one person in his in the history of civilization who's going to read these, and you're looking at him. <laughs> and so, whether the corner is crimped or not, or whether the staple is removed or not, is never going to make any difference because nobody is ever opening these boxes ever again. <laughs> and, and she kind of chuckled, despite her best instincts, <laughs> and um, she let me uh, crimp and scan. Holy moly. <laughs> so, uh, that's so nice I would have been, been there another month, you know. Oh, easily. Good if, if we hadn't broken the rules. Oh, my God. Well, now you just admitted to it, like the FCC is listening in, and they're going to know that you did this. <laughs> 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 it's just a bad <laughs> Oh my lord! Oh my god! So the thing that I couldn't, I because I I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but I've read I've read up um uh on on the actual you know story behind it and everything, and I can't believe like the 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 planning and and the the idea that this guy took and the 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 just balls that he took in in getting like a thirty six million dollar what is it a year contract with the government to get the use of this system and it's crazy yeah that's for the government that's a really low number though it's true uh, it was a six and a half billion dollar satellite system and so it wasn't just getting it out of bankruptcy that was the problem the problem is the cost of continuing to fly it you know right and um because it's massive. so it's a big it's one of the biggest ones isn't it one of the bigger ones it's 66 satellites um in low low earth orbit like most people they think of satellites as and they talk to each other they're, they're the smartest satellites ever ever put up um and and we should we should explain to people what they do is it's it's a it's the only cell phone that works on every inch of the planet you can make a call at the north pole the south pole uh the depths of the amazon rainforest um most people think cell phones work everywhere. Cell phones work 
on twelve percent of the surface of the earth. Yeah, that's um, where the where the antennas. They don't work are. in the ocean, right? <laughs> it's where the the antennas are that can like relay the 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 signal, right? Yeah, I mean, you you go you go three miles offshore, and um, even if you're still in the United States, if you're just on a lake, you know, <laughs> you go three miles offshore, and you, you your phone doesn't work, or if you've ever been on Amtrak and gone cross country and tried to use the phone. You know, there's enormous places where the phone doesn't work, <laughs> you know. And so people think they can carry their phone anywhere in the world and it'll work. Well, it won't work unless you have an Iridium phone, which will work on 100% of the planet because these 66 satellites are in polar orbit. They, go, they, they don't go around the equator like 99% of satellites do. They go over the poles, over the north and south pole. Mm-hmm. So, that, so each satellite passes over every inch of the Earth. 11 times a day. And so um, the uh, uh, also, you know, people think of satellites. Most satellites are in geostationary orbit, which is means they're, they stay in the same position relative to the Earth. Mm-hmm. The guy who figured that out was Arthur Clark. So it's called the Clark orbit. Mm-hmm. And those are um, 22,000 miles up. Um, these iridium satellites are just um, 700 miles up, so two percent wow. of the geostationary orbit. So they're they're in these low fast orbits that um, uh, they have to be so that the signal, the phone signal, will be instantaneous. Yeah, and so what he ended up doing was he he uh, got in with with the government and companies that would require like instant phone access in places where you never could get that. Yeah, I mean, who who needs who needs constant instant phone access anywhere in the world? Spies. Yeah. <laughs> anybody who anybody who works in lonely places, uh, people on oil platforms, people in you know, gold miners in the depths of uh, Zambia. You know, um, you know, some people need a phone in places where there's no phones. And um, so that's uh, that's the business he went after. And um, actually, there were there were three things that, that revealed to the world that they really, really, really need these phones. <laughs> One was 9-11. It was the only phone that worked in New York City on 9-11. Oh, wow. Because when you have a disaster like that, even if the, first of all, a lot of the cell towers were on top of the World Trade Center. But even if you, even if you have cell towers, they get overloaded in a, in a crisis like that. Right. And then the, and then the second thing was, um, uh, Afghanistan, the war in Afghanistan. Um, if you ask any soldier who was, uh, over there, uh, he'll tell you he loves his Iridium phone. Um, if you if you remember the movie, if you, you see American Sniper. Oh, I, I've I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but yeah, the. Okay, well, Bradley Cooper, at the uh, climactic moment in the film, executes the longest kill shot in history. Kill shot of over a mile long, and uh, he's still shaken from almost killing a kid early, earlier that day. And um, he puts down his rifle and he picks up his Iridium phone and he extends the antenna on it. And uh, he just says, 
I'm ready to come home now, baby. And uh, that's the the scene that everyone remembers from the movie. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily remember that it's an Iridium phone. (laughs) Most people who have seen an Iridium phone, they've seen it in the movies. They've either seen Brad Pitt with it in um, World War Z, or they've seen um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. uses it in every Iron Man movie. Yeah, it's this, um, it's always the satellite phone because you can tell it looks yeah. very different looking. Yeah. So uh, um, anyway, so Afghanistan it was it was a lifesaver, and then uh, Katrina. Um, it after Katrina, the whole information super uh, infrastructure of southern southern Louisiana was knocked out, and the only thing people have was reading phones. FEMA used them. They flew in a bunch of them. And uh, ever since then, it's been like standard safety equipment for anybody that's for first responders to disasters. Um, In Haiti, uh, there were 100 organizations. In the Haiti earthquake, there were 100 organizations that used the Iridium phone. So it turned out to be something that the world really, really needs. Um, It has thousands of applications today. And it's still the only phone that can that can be used anywhere on the planet. But it was saved only because this one guy <laughs> who had never worked with satellites or outer space before um, decided he, he 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 couldn't stand to see it destroyed, and so he he set out to tackle the White House and the Pentagon and the Congress and. Motorola and everybody on his own. So that's what it is. It's one man against the world who does something good for the world. That's what the story is. That's awesome. And I I think people need to read it just because it is such a, I I honestly, when I read about it, when I saw it announced, I'm like, oh, he made up a, he made up a great story. Oh, this is all true. (laughs) What the the hell? Yeah, and also I got I got kind of fascinated by um, uh, the satellite geeks of of history. Um, you know, the satellite people um, were were always the geeks and the dreamers mm-hmm. from the very first one, the guy in Russia in, in the 1890s. Um, and but they always needed rockets to get the satellites up and the rockets were controlled by the military right. and the military always said, we're not giving the geeks our rockets. That's not a, that's not a good purpose for that. <laughs> we're not going to waste a rocket on a stupid spaceship, you know, cause that's what they called them. They called them spaceships. And so, <laughs> um, and so they couldn't ever, uh, get cooperation. Uh, and, and, you know, What's happened? All those ICBM missiles and all the stuff that they were developing, you know, those missile silos, those are museums. Those are gathering dust, you know. Mm-hmm. What's still affecting our lives every day? The satellite, the satellites, you know, the satellite geeks. The satellite geeks turned out to be right. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was the Nazis that figured out how to put the satellites into orbit. So I go into who were the chief Nazis who did the uh, the first when when they when they, they the Nazis had a missile called the V2 missile mm-hmm. that they used to bomb London 
And um, when they first launched the first one, they it was a bunch of satellite geeks. They didn't toast winning the war. They toasted, this will allow us to put our spaceships into space. <laughs> they were... <laughs> A couple of them were jailed for being disloyal to the war effort, you know. And then after the war was over, we brought 130 of those satellite geeks over over to um, the states to uh, <laughs> the states and scrubbed their records, um, you know, falsified their biographies so they could become American citizens <laughs> and, and basically be the guys who created our our missile system and. Almost coincidentally, our satellites, you know, so. You know, it's, it's interesting but, um, it, that you've become fascinated with this and that you've started, like, you know, you've got the book. And we previously, we'd had on the show Joel Hodgson from um, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, who is another famous, you know, host, um, movie host. And now he's, like, working with the satellite company on stuff. Oh, he is? And, yeah, and he's become, like, a uh, a science geek. And it's it's, like. Wow, I'm you know this is why I yeah. like these guys. They're all smart and and they're into the science stuff like we are and every you know I, I picked the good one. I actually got it. <laughs> just got an email from a from one of the top rocket guys. I by the way, I met a lot of rocket scientists while I was doing this. You know, like genuine rocket scientists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm married to an astrophysicist. So I, I I got an email from one of the top rocket guys that. SpaceX, who wants to talk about, um, you know, who wants to pick my brain, and I, and I was wow. like, wow, I want to pick your brain. Oh my God! <laughs> but, so would you would you go up in one if you got the opportunity? Well, the guy I'm talking to is is doing their satellite program. Oh gosh, um, would you? Would you they they want to bring uh, Google, Facebook, and SpaceX are all involved in projects to bring high-speed internet to the whole world through satellites. Right. It's not easy, mm. and I'm not even sure it's possible because people have been trying to do it since 1990. But um, uh, anyway, they all have these various projects, um, some of them with sat- most of them with satellites, some of them with balloons. Oh, yeah. Uh, Google has one with balloons. Um, and, um, so, uh, I've been doing a lot of serious talks to people. I mean, I, I can only be so serious, even if I'm talking to, but I'm, I was, um, I, I put jokes in, even if I'm doing like a serious scientific talk, but, um, uh, you know, strangely enough, you know, who are the most. The most serious guys, the guys where I got virtually no laughs, at Google. When I spoke to Google, oh, really? <laughs> I thought that would be such an easy audience. I thought those would be laid back guys, you know, <laughs> the, the engineers, the engineers at Google. No, they were the most deadly serious of all. Oh, they don't you want know, to lose were, that. They were more gig. serious than the Pentagon guy. <laughs> they don't want to lose that cush gig. Like Google, their their facility is like. Why would you ever leave there? They have. Every- I know. Well, they're always shut. Yeah, and wherever you go, I've been to. I've been to three of the Google facilities, and they always show you, you know, how wonderful their food is. They're mm-hmm. always talking about their food. They have food everywhere, and their and their, you know, various workspaces 
you know, alternative workspaces and stuff. And um, I can tell you for a fact, I would hate working in those places where everybody's in your business. <laughs> oh no! The, the, the new thing is not to have a cubicle. You have you don't have a wall, and you you're like right there next to the person you're working with, and that drives me crazy. Yeah, I just I I would not like to. You got to be social at Google. You know, I I don't want to be that social. You know? I, I, I'll say hi. I, I'm not gonna. You know. <laughs> the, the thing that's funny is I came from. I, I was working in a, at an office that had had that kind of a layout. They they changed it over, and like within three months, everybody got the flu and everybody was sick because you're not separated and people are like hacking on you. And it's just no, not not a fan. Of the open work environment. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 in favor of offices. Mm-hmm. Offices with doors and walls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. I'm well. I maybe that makes us both really old, but I don't care. I don't. I'm not about. I'm not sharing my air with you. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> um. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about for sure was you, you'd mentioned previously about uh, the things that you had written about Donald Trump and you're working for, uh, you've been doing some writing for Tacky's magazine. And um, am I saying yeah. that right, by the way, Tacky or Tacky? Tacky. Tacky. Yeah, Tacky. He has a long Greek name. So everyone just calls him Tacky. I can't even pronounce his name, <laughs> but, uh, but he's well known in Greece and in journalism circles in Europe. Uh, mostly in Europe, uh, but um, uh, he's a great guy. He's he's uh, uh, he's 80 years old and one one of the recent senior judo champions oh in God. in the U.S. <laughs> um, and but also kind of a, a well known um, um, journalist, mostly a commentator. Um, but he started Talking Magazine few years back it's been going for a while now like five or six years and oh man what a great place to work they don't care there's no censorship there um they they have a they, uh, i would say their stable of columnists is all need to be in a place where there's no censorship <laughs> <You know? laughs> well i know i i read your um with uh the um passing of herschel gordon lewis you wrote a wonderful piece about him and how he i i loved your take on it because you knew him personally and just his his attitude was why do you want to show my movies uh? <laughs> yeah. when i first that was when i first met him in the 80s you know i came to tell him that we were going to release all his movies on strand video and i was going to host the the series, and he says, he said, first he said, uh, come into the kitchen. We got to get away from my wife. She hates this part of my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so then, and so then he says, you're going to do what? Why are you going to do that? Because <laughs> he thought of movies as kind of disposable artifacts that, you know, once you've played them off, once they've played around the country, what are they good for? And um, I credit Frank Hennenlotter, um, Basket Case, the, the director of Basket Case, for reviving interest in Herschel Gordon Lewis. He brought him to New York in um, the early to mid 80s uh, for a special tribute at the Waverly Theater in Greenwich Village. And that was the beginning of Herschel Madness. 
as, uh, as well. And also, nobody knew at that time how many movies Herschel had made because he he worked mostly under pseudonyms. His name was not on most of the movies that he made. He made thirty eight films that we know of. <laughs> that he'll he admit had, to. He had he had eight or nine different names on the films, and it was a guy named Jimmy Maslon at Hollywood Book and Poster in L.A., Mm -hmm. who painstakingly sought out all those films, you know, found them, uh, restored the prints, or not didn't restore the prints, but found the best prints that existed, and uh, put all the films together in a Herschel Gordon Lewis collection, which never would have existed if he hadn't done that work, and, and the and uh, I, I was writing about it because it kind of pissed me off that the New York Times did a fairly positive obituary about Herschel when the New York Times never reviewed a single one of his films and considered him beneath contempt uh, the whole time he was working. And uh, Herschel wouldn't have expected to get a good review from the New York Times, but a bad review would have helped his business, you know. Yeah. So um, any any press is they good press at least when you acknowledge have a... <laughs> his existence. And then they acknowledge his existence when he's dead. You know, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of pissed off by it. I'm sure Herschel would would be flattered and gracious that um, he was uh, remembered that they ran a big obituary in the New York Times. But uh, I'm like I'm I'm sick of those people. You know, they've they've been anti-exploitation film for decades. And, uh, uh, and, and now they sort of like, they want to be, they want to be hip somehow. And so they, uh, they actually gave him credit for things that he shouldn't get credit for. <laughs> they said he influenced John Carpenter. They said he influenced Wes Craven. They said he influenced Quentin Tarantino. Herschel Gordon Lewis didn't influence anybody. I mean, Herschel Gordon Lewis would lock down the camera and um, shoot everything in a long shot. I mean, like, <laughs> well, Herschel had not even learned stuff that D.W. Griffith invented. <laughs> <laughs> he just—he was out for a buck, and he knew what to, he figured. Hey, no one's going to do that. I mean, that's what it was. He was a business guy. He, he and he admitted it. Like that was what he did. Yeah. It, so yeah, yeah no it, one. There, there was no. There was no artistic influence on West West Craven and and um, John Carpenter were craftsmen excellent craftsmen you know they wouldn't have done anything herschel did herschel herschel influenced movies like uh you know uh blood diner and and uh tim sullivan did a re uh, did 2001 maniacs but that's not you know they i'm sorry i don't think Wes craven was influenced at all by him no herschel influenced movies that today are shot on iphones in somebody's basement that's the only kind of yeah. Movie. He he influenced people that could they could be like, well, shit, I can do that. <laughs> that's, right. that's the influence, and I say that with love. I mean, he that no. really is what it was. He he showed that you could do it on a budget, and and people will watch it. Yeah, he was more. He, he was he was um, he was famous for his backstory for for the fact for the carnival aspect to what to what he did and and. Um, it was a very um, elegant 
uh, and charming man. Um, he'd been a professor um, in his in his youth, in, in his twenties, and uh, actually into his thirties. Um, and um, there was something always professorial about him, and I think that made him very. Um, uh, it was a winning combination of having the gore films and the and the uh, the nudie cuties. He also made nudie cuties, and he made um, uh, he made some country films. <laughs> he wrote country music. <laughs> well, and it, he was just all over the lot. I heard. I, I haven't heard a bad word about him either. Like everybody, you know, I had, you know, I'm I work in the horror world, and I have all these friends that are fans, and myself, they're fans of his work, and everybody that ever met him said he was just a very kind, nice man. Like he just was really gentlemanly. He was enjoying his late fame, you know, and he was enjoying going to the conventions and and meeting the people and and. You know, I think there was a little bit of regret in in that he 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 was thinking, you know, if I'd done it a different way, maybe I could be acknowledged as a real director as opposed to a novelty director, you know, uh, because he was smart enough to have done that, you know, um, and he was wise enough to have done that. But he went for the short money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and and I think there was a little bit of regret to that because I wrote a couple of things and I could tell that it was painful to him. A couple of things I wrote and a couple of things I said that were I could tell were painful to him because he understood the implications of. I mean, most most exploitation guys, you make fun of them and they're happy about it, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, but he he's but he's like Herschel had a little bit of regret. Yeah. He had a little bit of regret about not doing it differently. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, this kind of coming full circle, is, you know, I'm one of these people and I've I've gotten into it with some from female fans and some male fans about this, which is I think the world of PC and political correctness is kind of getting out of hand, like we're getting sort of insane with it. Um, Everybody's offended by something kind of a deal. And yet at the same time. Now we have this crazy ass election happening. I, I, I mean, it, it has. I'm in favor of pussy grabbing. <laughs> um, I think there's not enough. There's not enough said on the other side of the issue. Um, I, if, I don't may, know. Perhaps, if, perhaps if there was more pussy grabbing in this country, we we would be in a better place. <laughs> I lost my show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for that. But you know what I mean? It's like this world has gotten I I, we're right to be offended by that kind of crap. I mean, that's that's a given. But I don't know. What do you think? Because you you come from that you come from the exploitation side of things too. You've you you you've hosted the movies and things like that. But you know, where do you fall in this? Like, what do you think? Have we gotten crazy with the PC police on 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 all this crap now? Or I mean, that... no, we have. It's ridiculous, and it started in the strangest place. It started in the universities. Mm-hmm. Um, it started in the place that ought to ought to be uh, sponsoring freedom of thought and freedom of expression. And if you have somebody who's upset by 
racist comments in a university, then the next day you should be calling David Duke to come speak there. That's how you that's how you deal with things in a university. You have all the um, all the points of view available all the time, so that there can be ag- aggressive uh, uh, clash of ideas. The universities have done the opposite. They're now universities that have orientation days where they talk to you about how you're you're um, uh, innately racist, even if you don't know it, and there are microaggressions. They they have this term microaggressions, and they they tell you what they are, and they tell you that they're not allowed at that My, university. I've never not heard that well, new one. That's crazy. <laughs> well, you know. That would be like asking a black person if he plays basketball. You know, that's a microaggression. You know, yeah. even if you really want to know if he wants to play basketball. You know, if you, <laughs> you know. So, um, so at any rate, they, you know, the, I here's what I think we should do. See, I understand that if you go to Liberty University, that you have to be a Christian, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know. And I'm okay that they have a code at Liberty University that says you can't do this, you can't drink, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. Because when you go to Liberty University, you know what you're signing up for. Now, I also think that Liberty University should be classified as a private and a lower class of university in terms of academic freedom and, and all the other ways we classify universities so that it's clear that if you go that if you go there, you're choosing doctrine over education. Okay, I think if universities like Clark University that has the microaggression policy, they should be classified exactly the same way. If you go there, you're you're choosing doctrine over education, and it should be classified right up there with Liberty University, the same kind of school. Just make it clear your credentials aren't going to be as good if you go to a place like that that suppresses free speech. And um, uh, we ought to start noting that any any school that will kick you out for saying the wrong thing, then that's the same as Liberty University or any other Christian college or military academy. If they kick you out for saying the wrong thing, it's not a true university and it ought to be down downgraded in terms of how good those credentials are once you come out of there. Well, and that's the thing, like, I I, I totally agree. I mean, I've gotten jumped because I've given an opinion that, you know, and I I come back, I call, it's almost like people jump on these, these, the internet and, and universities, as you said, have become breeding grounds for what I call these people that just, I'm going to take that that uh, fight as my own. I'm going, to, you know, even though I've never dealt with it myself, I want to feel important. So I'm going to take and be offended for this group, or I'm going to be offended for this group. And then they go and regurgitate everything that that, that they've read online about it because they've never actually experienced that themselves. That's fine. As lo- I mean, it's fine to take up causes as long as you don't make part of your cause. Um, uh, suppressing other people's right to speak. And that's what's going on on the campuses is certain opinions aren't allowed. Certain speakers aren't allowed. Every year, commencement speakers get canceled because 
there'll be a movement to go back and look at everything they've ever written or said and, you know, they'll say, oh, well, we can't have this person on campus because they said this or they did this or whatever. You got to have them on campus because they said that or because they did that. Yeah, you know, you, you're, you're not, it's like microcosms of, of thought and you're not allowed to be different. And, th- and that's exactly, that, that kind of feeds into, it's not actually, it's, it's not racism, but it's, you're, you're doing exactly what you're saying you don't want to have happen because yeah. this person. And, the, and, the, and then the way it works out in the, in the real world, in the job world, is you get your, your speech suppressed at work because of these people called human resources professionals. And so the, every company has a human resources department. The human resources department pretends to be your friend if you work there. Yep. However, their goal is to make sure there's no litigation against the company. That's their goal. That's their job. And so to, to do that job, they pass uh, speech codes. And um, they, they enforce uh, speech codes. If you say the wrong thing, even if you say it when you're not working, even if you say it on your Twitter account, even if you say it in a private email that gets uh, forwarded to somebody, um, you, you can lose your job or yeah. you can be disciplined or you can be passed over for a promotion. Well, that's not the country we're supposed to be. Exactly. And oh, man. Oh, God, we could keep going about this. um so one thing i wanted to ask you about um i keep saying that but it's true is the i i okay i'm gonna ask this one first do you think trump is doing this to help hillary win do you think he is actually andy kaufman the whole thing in in terms of making this just the most horrible horrible campaign that he could do and help her win or is he really that nuts no, I think Donald Trump can go either way. If he if he wins, he'll he can use that to his advantage. If he loses, he can figure out a way to use that to his advantage. Uh, Donald Trump is always about expanding the brand of Donald Trump, and that's what he's always been about, and that's what he'll continue to be about. And um, I would question the motives of um, of um, NBC. Uh, they had that Billy Bush tape since August. They knew about it since August. And The Apprentice was on NBC. Yeah, I mean, it was their tape. Uh, they had, um, the, uh, Access Hollywood tape. Um, they had it since August. It comes out in October, three weeks before the election. I mean, that doesn't look good for, there's a lot of things about this election that, in my opinion, discredit the media. They uh, uh, much of the media threw out any pretense of objectivity uh, in the way they've covered this, and uh, as, as though they've never had a bad candidate before, as though they've never had a a, a, uh, a rabble rouser before, as though they've never had a a, uh, a demagogue before. Uh, come on, you know it's. It, I've never seen the media get down in the dirt and 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 fight in a partisan way the way the major mainstream media has done in this election. Um, 
and I, I speak from experience because I've dealt, I, I grew up in um, Arkansas where we had actual racist candidates, racist governors. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was started as a reporter, when I was 13 years old, we covered, uh, we covered them without sacrificing any of our objectivity or our, I mean, we reported everything they did and everything that they said and reported the other side and uh, let the people make up their mind. I've never seen a freak out like this. Uh, uh, I can't even read the op-ed page of the New York Times anymore. Um, people have just totally lost it. They've gone insane. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the biggest. I'm like embarrassed by it. The whole thing is embarrassing. It, it's like the I've never I, I mean, I'm I'm 41 years old and I've never seen I've never seen such a shit show in my life of all of it. <laughs> They've introduced things like real time fact checking. There's no such thing as real time fact checking. <laughs> I have I have fact checkers that work on my books. It takes us weeks to fact check shit. You had 17,000 pages to go through. There's, there's no real-time fact checking. Fact checking is a term that is uh, uh, used by editors at publishing companies that somehow has become part of the uh, uh, general lexicon now, as though you can just like, oh, well, let's turn on the fact check machine <laughs> and see if it says true or false. No. <laughs> they're just been making this stuff up oh my god that's hilarious no it's it's crazy it's just crazy to me and 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 the the uh my husband said a like months ago that he thinks it's he's doing all of this on purpose and 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 stirring this even more i mean he's not helping his case at all but it's like he thinks he's doing it you know to help screw the the GOP over and then get her elected. I hope that's the case at this point, but it's just all nuts. It's just when people keep looking for people keep looking for levels, levels of sophistication in Donald Trump. <laughs> there are no levels. There are no levels. He is what he is. And you knew it there's when one, you got it. There's one level. There's one level. That's what you're seeing. That's what's there. There's no, it's like the analysis, the, the, the hours and, 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 and column inches of analysis spent on trying to figure out the deeper levels of Donald Trump, you know, that's like trying to figure out the deeper levels of Mickey Mouse. It's not there. <laughs> it is on. The, you get what you get. What you see is, is there. And people, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm in awe of just, it's like a cartoon. The whole thing is to the point of being a cartoon. And I have friends that are in different, in other countries, like in, I, they are in Canada. I have friends in the UK and they, they've been watching all of this and they're like, I am so sorry for you. And this is a country where like you go into the house of Lords and stuff. And these guys are like almost cl- close to clubbing each other in the face. They're feeling sorry for us. And it's like, yeah, yeah, here we are. <sighs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think, I think, um, uh, on the other hand, um, Hillary Clinton 
is so unpopular and has lied so many times and and is uh, 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 she keeps saying all those emails are from Russia. All those hacking emails are from, <laughs> are from Russia. Well, they're not from Russia. Russia can't imitate the writing style of John Podesta. So <laughs> it doesn't matter where they got hacked. You know, we've seen the emails. And she's so unpopular that uh, I really think she would be defeated by any other Republican, any other of the major Republican candidates. Yeah, that kind of leads creep. Of, <laughs> of the top nine guys that Trump defeated. Any of them would beat Hillary. So uh, it's it's you true. Really feel fortunate to have to have Donald. I yeah, that's that just leads credence to that whole that whole theory. Like he did this on purpose, and I I don't know. I at this point, it's so nuts. I just want it over. I'm I, I, I'm I'm well. Like, he's not a conservative, and he's certainly not a liberal, and he's not a Democrat, and he's not a Republican. He's a billionaire. He's what he is. He's a so billionaire. He doesn't have any kind of. He, he doesn't have any kind of. <laughs> ulterior motive um uh you know his his only motive is to enlarge the world of donald yep pretty much put us all under a head of hair looks like that and protect us with that hair i guess is his <laughs> spray tans for everybody um so okay so i'm going to roll back to the other aspect of you that i love which is the horror fan and I wanted to talk to you really quickly. I, I know I've kept you forever, but you're just awesome to talk to. Um, I wanted to ask you what your idea about, you know, everything. It's basically everything old is new again. We've got Westworld back on. We got Westworld on television. We got the Universal Monster remake movies coming. Um, you know, what do you think is about that? Do you have an opinion on how Hollywood's sort of in one way given up? Um, well, it depends on what you mean by Hollywood. Um, uh, it, you know, I've, I don't like remakes. I've never liked remakes. I, I'm always bored by the mining of Hollywood history and the, but that's, that's, that's part of the business. That's what they do. They take successful, uh, franchises of the past and they redo them and they redo them as many times as they'll continue to make money or they can be reimagined and repackaged and sold, sold again. That's what they do. The six Hollywood studios are distribution companies. They're not really content creators. The other, the other, they get their content from a few people that they make deals with that can deliver blockbusters in the summer, but they're basically uh, uh, places to distribute uh, movies. I personally think at least three of the six will probably go out of business in the next 10 years because they, 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 they consistently fail to recognize the threat of Netflix, Amazon, oh, yeah. Google, and iTunes. And they don't understand because they've been around for 120 years and understand that this is a, a threat that's fundamentally different from any previous threat that they've carried to their existence. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so they're kind of dinosaurs in the sense of they know how to do two or three things. They know how to distribute blockbusters in the summer internationally. 
You know, they know how to uh, put together hedge fund deals to continue to get to continue to be able to make movies that are a hundred million dollars or more expensive. But even in that world, um, they're being challenged by China. There are guys in China now that can put up a hundred million dollars or two hundred million dollars and make some of those movies. So um, they don't even have a monopoly on that anymore on the on the big budget movies. Um, so I think we're watching the decline of a of a studio system in Hollywood. Now the good thing is the technology has become so cheap. Filmmaking technology has become so cheap that anybody can make a movie. Right. The bad thing is anybody can make a movie. So we have we have uh, you know tens of thousands of movies, more movies than we used to have. Uh, but we don't have any better quality movies. So what we've got to do is we've got to move to a model where there's a studio framework for a low-budget movie, um, and we don't have that yet. I'm, I'm working on it myself. I'm working on uh, producing some movies myself, and that's exactly what I'm doing is trying to bring back order, use the cheap net technology, uh, but bring order to it by imposing the, the old MGM system on it, so that the quality is there. So yeah, the, so the studios we don't used to control quality just because we can make the movies cheap. Yeah, the studios had a lot of you know the studio system produced a lot of good films, although it was sort of like a and a lot of bad films and a lot of bad ones. But I mean, for like example, the one that just recently happened that I it's not a remake and it's not a, a reimagining but it's sort of like a nightmare is the story behind this monster trucks movie that it's already cost Viacom 115 million dollars it's a 125 million dollar budget and the and the story was actually created that one of the guys at Paramount his son who was like 7 years old came up with the idea and they took it and went with it and made a movie but see, that's worked before. That sometimes works. Uh, that's Transformers. That's, you know, <laughs> there, there have been movies based on toys. There have, you know, successful movies based on toys. But in, they, they, the studios are playing a losing game because they have to get um, pick a number. They have to get sixty percent of the public to be aware of their product, you know, that, that level of marketing, you know? Right. And if I make a cheap horror film, I only have to get 0.001% of the public aware of my movie in order to make a profit, you know? So, uh, you know, as the, as the world uh, becomes more fragmented, the world of way, uh, ways to watch, uh, films on di- on various devices and and various income levels and various budget levels and um, then you don't have to sell to a hundred percent of the world anymore like like they do with their summer blockbusters and the fact that they'll continue to try to do that means all it takes is two flops in a row and they're out of business. Yeah, I mean, like they they keep funneling all that. The, the the amount of money going into some of these movies is staggering. 
to me. I, I can't. I mean, it, a good example is Ben Hur this year. You know. Um, oh, the remake. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the remake of Ben Hur. They spent a hundred million dollars. They they made eighty nine million, which would be a a success at 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 a reasonable budget level. Um, they spent about a hundred and five or something on marketing, mm-hmm. and so it's a huge, huge failure. Over a hundred million dollars just down the drain. Um, even though it was an okay movie and it was, uh, uh, you know, there was no reason for it to fail that miserably. Um, you know, the, the, the reason they stay in business is they just have to get one guardian of the galaxy and <laughs> yeah. that pays for 10 of their failures. But how, but who wants to play that game? That's a, that's a casino game. That's yeah. a roulette game. And that's know? a, that's a, that's a very risky roulette game. Cause yeah. Who wants, who wants to continue to do that into, into, into the distant future? You yes. know, that's why all the, all the executives are already, the day they get hired, they're planning to be fired. Yeah, they probably, I think they, that's why you have like a contract for, we're going to give you a contract for a year and see what happens and then renew it. It's, it's, and if we fire you, you get millions of dollars. Yeah. That, that's always put in the contract. Yeah, you're, you're still going to get like a $50 million firing bonus, I guess, is what, instead of a hiring bonus, you're going to get that firing right. bonus. And well, my but last. Because they know it's a, it's a high water act and you can't do it for long. Oh, you'll you'll die. I think you, I I don't think you could literally do that with the stress involved of of having to make that much money and and guarantee that much money without having a stroke at least once a year. I mean, it's yeah insane. Well, there's only and there's only six guys doing it. So uh, you know, look at the if you look at the larger picture and you look at what Amazon is doing and you look at what Netflix is doing and you look at what um, uh, Netflix. some of the low budget indies are doing, uh, you can see that we're going in a good direction. It's just a direction nobody pays attention to because there's no big ads on NBC, uh, for these projects because they're, NBC's they're marketed com- online. NBC's in competition with them too. I mean, Netflix just like ruled the Emmys this year, which was awesome. Yeah. And, and, and actually, correct netflix is making some of the best stuff i've seen in a while when it comes to the series yeah nbc will probably be fine because that's nbc universal and comcast they're all in the same company so um uh but um some of the others like paramount i would I, I don't know yeah cbs <laughs> might be in, in trouble um abc will be fine because disney owns them <laughs> and disney's yeah. never going away <laughs> But so I have one more question for you and I'll let you go. I, I, I wanted to ask this because it's just been a really, really rough year, last couple of years for horror films and losing the, the last of the great ones. You know, we've been losing so many people. Who do you think could ever like right now, who do you think would be close to even coming to touching like the roles that Christopher Lee did and, and, and Peter Cushing and Wes Craven in, in terms of a director, who do we have right now that can even live up to those kind of legends? 
Oh, you mean actors or directors? A- actor and director. Pick one of each. Because it's... I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to figure this one out. Um, well, I think that um, uh, the... Um, uh, I mean, what, what we're talking about here is uh, geek cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether that's horror or fantasy or sci-fi or whatever. And the cream of the crop talent in geek cinema has gone to, uh, you know, big Hollywood projects and big television projects. And they have access to whatever star they want for those projects. Because, you know, 30 years ago, uh, horror was still uh, looked down on. Uh, Science fiction, to some extent, was looked down on. Um, And you didn't have these uh, big blockbuster uh, projects. That started changing uh, probably about the time of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, not the movie, but the series. And so uh, there are plenty of guys who uh, do well. They just moved over to TV. (laughs) They're all in TV. You know, they're they're doing The Walking Dead. They're doing um, uh, they're they're at places where they're well paid. But I don't even think it's that they're well paid. I think it's the fact that you can do more with those TV shows where you 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 you're releasing um, thirteen hours of programming at a time in some cases. Certainly at Netflix, you are. Yeah. And so um, so you get a you get a, a deal. To do 13 hours of, pro- of programming, it's a it's a dream. It's a dream job. It's like getting it's like getting six and a half feature films all at once, <laughs> you know. And um, so that's where the that's where the talent went. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Spacey could turn up starring in the next big horror project, you know, because it's going to be on TV or it's going to be on Netflix or it's going to be on Amazon. So that's that's where they went. Now there will be a second tier of uh, of uh, people who are making low budget movies, and I don't I don't think those are and and that second tier is low 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 budget movies. And what we have to do as these as the geek fan base is encourage those talented people and give them the resources they need. To deliver the projects that are too small for Netflix and too small for Amazon, and because they're more of a niche audience, and that'll happen. That'll, I'm, I'm sure that'll happen because there are a lot of outwork filmmakers <laughs> and there are a lot of horror fans, <laughs> and and it's just a matter of getting the right people together at the right time with the right budget. Well, and it's, and, uh, it's, it's we're going to see that start to happen. It's interesting that you brought up Guardians of the Galaxy since James Gunn came from Troma. That's who gave him his first gig, which was Troma. And, and well, exactly. And, and anybody else that is going to follow the money. Yep. That's so. funny. Awesome. Well, Don, thank you so much for coming on. Um, do you, I want to give you a chance to pimp anything that you've got going on right now, where you're going to be, where people can find you, because I know it's the Halloween season. Well, let's see. Up. I'm regular. When does, this, when does this air? We're going to air this next week. Okay. Um, well, I'm regularly 
in uh, in Taki Mag. If you haven't checked it out, uh, it's T A K I M A G TakiMag dot com. And um, uh, and uh, I always uh, if you send me if you, if you write to me at Joe Bob at JoeBobBriggs dot com, just like it sounds, Joe Bob at and then my whole name JoeBobBriggs dot com, and um, ask to be put on my email list then you, you get regularly notified of everywhere I'm going to appear and also everything that I write and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then, uh, you know, additional things that are just funny. So, <laughs> <laughs> and some so, things you may, um, you may have your eyes bug out of your head when you see, I am not going to say anything else. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's the best way if you want to keep up. Um, uh, Cause we don't always update the website right away and, I think we're rebuilding it, but um, uh, but anyway, fun fun as usual. I know. Well, I see you next. Yeah. Horror Hound 2017. Oh, possibly, possibly. I don't know though. When we get together at a Horror Hound convention, horrible things happen and dream sequences terrible, start, terrible and and people get roofied, and then I start handing out Joe Bob drinks that I've mixed in my room, and people drink them. <laughs> Oh my God! Don't even go there. Okay. Well, you know, maybe you know, bad things happen in Indiana. I gotta stay out of Indiana. I've done like seven conventions in Indiana, and bad things have happened at <laughs> all of them. Yes, yes. I, you know, it's not his I'm, fault. It's the move, state. You know, I gotta move at least as far west as Kansas. <laughs> Well, Jamie, thank you so much. This is a fun time. You'll, we have to have you back again sooner rather than like four years apart. Um, but thank you again. This was great. I had a great time talking to you as always. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome back after a very long uh, absence, the guys from Drive-In Horror Show, Mike Neal and Greg Anson. Welcome back, guys. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. We're excited. Um, so, of course, it seems like every October you guys show back up and, <laughs> and come to talk about bad and gory and horrible things. But you're actually um, you're here to talk about something actually not well, actually gory and horrible. But at the same time, it's a good thing. It's a contest. Yes, yeah, yes, right. yes, yes. <laughs> so. So let's talk about your contest. So it looks like what you guys, for those of you guys who don't know, um, Mike and Greg have been on the show constantly um, uh, over the years. We love having these guys around. They're awesome and they're filmmakers, but they're also writers. And right now um, they are currently giving away their stuff on Wattpad, which is a really, really cool um, site that allows you to read short stories, long stories um, for free online. Um, and uh, it's sort of like a PDF format, would you say? It's it's an application. Well, it's, it's just an app, you know. And like it's it's a website, but it's mainly um it's mainly an application. Cool. Mm -hmm. So and so, what it does, it allows you to um you can upload your your stories and um, read other people's stories on there. And so right now, you have like I believe it's seven total short stories from the realms of the drive-in horror show. It's basically. Uh, Little vignettes. I never say that right. Vignettes. Yes. 
vignettes. Vignettes, vignettes. yes. Yeah, yeah, I can't talk good, me. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have seven of them up there right now. And I got to tell you, I love the artwork. I've read a few of these. I've actually read, I think, almost all of them. Um, but um, the artwork is fantastic. And probably my favorite is the one you have for the um, the one I actually read and, and laughed and kind of gagged a little. First place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, they really knocked that one out of the park. That one's pretty, uh, pretty funny. They look fantastic. So, um, can you talk about first before we get into the details of your your uh, giveaway because it's a really, really neat one, and it's starting this week. Um, can you talk about how you decided to go, um, how you found Wattpad, and also what led you to start sharing your short stories out there? Well, um, I went to a yeah, I went to a conference. Uh, last year, and I'm, I'm, I, at someone speaking, I think uh, he was, he was the guy who started Wattpad, and I never heard of it. So after the conference, I just checked it out, and um, you know, it just seemed to be this really cool community of people writing, and you know, just a new way to share your um, what you're doing, and um, you know, and I just kind of showed the site to site to Mike, and uh, we didn't, you know, really, we just kind of looked into it a little bit, and you know, we, you know, read a few stories and kind of joined and stuff. And then um, I think overthinking of stuff like material we had, we had a bunch of screenplays um, that we put together during and after the making of the drive-in horror show, the movie. And um, some of them were just a little bit, I don't know if we could make them right now because of the budget, they're pretty expensive. So um, they were just stories that we thought were really good and hadn't revisited in a while. And um we just kind of took it from there, you know, and, and knowing that we had really um, excellent artists who could help us do really good covers, you know. Well, and they look like I said, they look great. Um, it's kind of funny, though. I, I'm I'm laughing at the fact that I read the one. Um, oh, it's called the Macho, the, the Macho the King, King. The Macho King. The yeah, Macho, the Macho King. King. So you have the Macho King who, for whatever reason, just immediately makes me think of Donald Trump. <laughs> and, and, and that's, oh, that's awesome. Then you have the clown game, which, <laughs> which now we have killer clowns in reality stalking people. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like in, in, in this in, in the story, really, it's 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 not. I mean, it, it yeah, he is a clown, but it's like he's not. It, it it's not that, and and. Yeah, the, the the killer clown or the the the, the freaky clowns are like that. You know, I'm blaming the insane clown posse on this one. <laughs> yeah, right. They're somehow involved. <laughs> like know. we're all gonna, you know, the juggalos are gonna get shot. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the rising of them. It's like they're gonna like. You know, screw Donald Trump. They're gonna take. You know, they're gonna take over. We're in trouble. You I think know? we might be better off at some. Yeah, I'm really with the clowns. I'm okay with them more than I am with Trump. But it's, it's yeah, yeah. The clowns really. The, I'm not. A, I'm not one that's scared of the clowns. So it's like, like, what's the big deal? You know, maybe go <laughs> go as a clown as Halloween. You know, get a big butcher knife. You know. Well, you hear they're actually um they're oh they're oh. Big. Uh, masks oh. and things like that in some stores. Oh, oh! If you did that in LA, if you if you wore that in a thing, you would that that would be probability for the police to shoot you. You know. Oh my right. God! It's yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
in a reality like that it's it's a it's, oh my god i thought so, it was a joke at first so yeah keep let's keep going <laughs> seriously so okay so let's uh, let's talk about the contest because this is really neat so the thing with wattpad is they're not you, they're not physical books they're they're it's an app where you read them on on your device or your phone um but what you're doing is pretty awesome um so you the winner gets there's three grand prize winners and one of the things that they win is a compilation of all of these books in one in one actual physical book which is amazing yes 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 and and um yeah because we it, it lives online so we laid it out in a book with a little bit of extra artwork so it's a like real book and um, we're also for each story we've done like baseball trading cards so anyone who everyone who applies for the contest even if you don't win afterwards we'll get in touch with you and if you're interested we'll send you out some trading cards for each story that yeah, they're, is they're kind of they're, they're kind of like a mixture of baseball cards and fright flicks like yeah. in the uh, 80s so they have little details in the back about you know enticing things about the story and it's nice too because it's a way to actually have a physical copy of the artwork. Because, like mm -hmm. you said, the covers have been very—I mean, we've been more than happy with the people that did the covers. Um, and it's nice to have little, uh, um, little things you can look at. I have a bunch around um, my office here, and they're—they're um, they're pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, so th that's a nice little little um, uh, prize everyone gets just for entering. And you said, and and I I read your um, release that you guys can uh, check out on fangirlmag.com. Um, there's collectible pins, a drive-in horror show comic book, which I wrote the intro thing. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. It's a great intro. <laughs> um, and uh, and and the book. So that's a pretty amazing prize pack, actually, because they also get the record of the drive-in horror show soundtrack. So yeah, it's. And it's and it's an LP. It's not a CD. It's an LP. Yeah, I think we oh, yeah. we did run out of the CDs. But um, the the book, this book, we only this is limited edition. We only we only printed three of them, so we're not printing anymore. So this is a real special prize for the people who win it. That is awesome. So are you going to still be releasing more short stories to Wattpad? Because right now you're up to seven. Are you going to uh, be releasing any more? How many do oh, we yeah. have, Mike? We have, we have, let's see, we have 11, 12 with um, the perfect teeth. And then, yeah, so I'd say at least another six-ish, five or six. So, and, and that's what we know. I mean, the fun thing about this is that, you know, we've, like Craig said, we did a lot of these stories a while ago, but some we've also just kind of developed um, pretty recently or had the yeah, beginning of yeah. a script and then finished. Yeah. and. This one we just did pretty recently that we banged out in a couple of days. So um, we know of five to six we're committing to, but there could be any more than that. I mean, it's just fun. I love doing this stuff. You know, it's like, it's just good yeah, times. It, it, I, I've already written a couple of stories. It's just some, I, Mike does the adaptations. I write them usually in a screenplay form. Mike, Mike, you know, Mike's written a few, but I give him like a screenplay and then he writes it in the book form. I usually don't write in book form because I have trouble writing that way. So sometimes one or two stories hasn't really adapted to book form because I write some kooky stuff and it's like, <laughs> no one's going to want to read this. It's like, this no is one a trauma would, movie. You know, no one suspect you of being well, whatever with, it's with your man-eating pumpkins. Well, nuke, 
<laughs> no, that was that that that's a Mike idea. I that one is why I want to make. I want we're really pushing it because if people like this, then we can get a big budget and make that 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 one would be a great movie. The one of the imagine a killer pumpkin. You know that would just be great. I'm still waiting for that to happen. I mean, I, it's it. I'm surprised no one has really done that yet. I mean, we've had they the, haven't. They I haven't done that. Not not like that. Not like in a movie. Ones, not like in a movie. I um, there is a a comic book series called Blood and Gourd, which is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they, they oh, wow, wow, oh wow. So we we real this might be our next project to get like the next thing you know going. Dude, yeah, I think I think a... your powers combined with the Blood and Gourd guys, which is that would be amazing. To jump in for a sec, for people that don't know, it's a um, it's a story of two guys that are trying to win a pumpkin growing contest, and they inject their pumpkin with PEDs, pumpkin enhancing drugs that makes the yeah it's it's ridiculous. Um, that's actually my favorite personal dorky joke in the whole thing. But um, but it makes their pumpkin grow and grow and and develop a hunger for human flesh. So it, it's very much in the style of creep show, a um, yeah. little bit of like little shop of horrors and. Um, and it, it's just fun. It's a, it was a fun story to write in the screenplay. It was really fun to write for this. Um, you know, it's just a ridiculous it, it, idea. It, it belongs in Trick or Treat too, with Sam. That would be fun. Like yeah. it. No, I, with, oh, with, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It, it, it is a definitely perfect for actually that and the clown game and 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 a couple of these would be f- perfect for a Halloween anthology movie. I mean, they're they're made tailor made for oh. it. I mean, we'd love to make a sequel to the to the drive-in. It's just um, these um, in writing these stories, we can take the shackles off Mike and I of like um, of uh, well, we got to pay for it and we got to figure out how to do it. We can just write these stories, like because with the drive-in horror show, we wrote these stories, but it's like, well, we can't have you know um, things coming out of the swamp, you know, and like you know these just you know it's just beyond our production skills at this time so that's why writing is so nice and like maybe it will lead to like you know a big producer you know making our next movie you know well and that's the thing is like these it it relies on the reader's imagination and people can be sick as hell in their heads take it from me i know (laughs) i know because reading the pumpkin one and reading the the macho king one yeah your brain goes to some very bad places, but I'm really excited about this contest. So, um, and there's a few ways yep. that you can enter. Um, you, um, it looks like you'd be a, follow you guys on Facebook, correct? You, yeah, you go, when you go to our website, uh, Mike, that, and, and th- there's a link there. That that's where you sign up, but it's through Facebook, correct? The other one is running it. Okay. Yeah, no, I have it right here. So um, yes, you go to our, our um, website, driveinhorrorshow.com, and there'll be a, a link at the top. And basically, there are three ways you can do it, and there'll all be buttons you, or think, uh, buttons you can click to do these things. One is visit Drive In Horror Show on Facebook, mm-hmm. or you can also follow us on Twitter at Drive In Horror if you haven't followed us already. And the cool thing is, you can tweet a message. There's a button to send, um, send an automated message to your friends um, saying that you've entered the contest. And you can do that every day, basically, for the duration of the contest. So you can pretty, like, legitimately stack the vote in your favor if you want to. <laughs> so we, we ran a contest using you this. You have to talk um, about voting. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll think about politics out of this. But, um, yeah, this is the real voter fraud. But, um, 
But uh, we had someone do this in our, our um, one of the contests we've done, we did last year, and we had a bunch of people do it, and definitely increases your chance of winning. So it's uh, it's cool. So and, that's that's how you do it. And um, on the website, Mike, what did we call it again? I made the button. Was it ghoulish uh, Ghoul- contest ghoulish, giveaway? Ghoulish stories giveaway. And that button will be uh, starting on Wednesday. That button's going to be right on our homepage, so you can't miss it. And we'll be posting it on our social media, the link to the sign And we'll have, it, we'll have it up on fangirlmag2. Uh, fangirlmag.com. We'll have it there as well shared for you guys so you can go and enter because these are really neat, and it's a cool thing, and we want to support these guys because they're amazing. Really, as you can see, they're nice guys, even though they make and create really twisted shit. But, but, you know, they're good guys. Um, so, of course, I have to ask you, what are your plans for Halloween this year? And um, also pick pick your Halloween movie, because a lot of people have been discussing online, um, like AMC's doing their Fear Fest but it seems like all they're doing is the same stuff over and over again, including like a marathon of every episode of the walking dead. Cause no one's seen that yet. Yeah, right. and <laughs> no one knows what that is. Um, but T- the Turner classic movies is doing some great, um, uh, great stuff this year, um, including tributes to Christopher Lee and, and showing films of his that I actually okay. have never seen. Um, but I got to ask, what um, what are your plans for Halloween and what would be your quintessential Halloween viewing movie? And try to make it not obvious. Okay. Hmm. Oh, oh, okay. I, um, I, I got one. I got why one why don't I go first? Let me go first, Mark. Mike, go, go, <laughs> don't go, fight. Go, don't go, fight. Go, Mommy, go, Daddy, go, don't go, fight. For Halloween, um, I'm going to a podcast, uh, The Honeypot. I go every 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 other Monday. It's uh, at the Mint in uh, at the Mint in uh, West Hollywood or West LA um, on Pico. It's free. Um, there'll be music, and I don't know what I'm going to dress as. I might. I don't know. I don't know. I um, but uh, um, you say like you say like. <laughs> Like, uh, so I'm going to watch music like in crazy bands um, play. So I'm going to drink beer. Um, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty much every day. Of Greg's <laughs> yeah, I try. No, I try. I'm trying not to drink that much anymore. So it's all good. Um, I'm not the I, I quintessential. I don't like. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm so all over the place. Um, but I did just watch The Howling. Oh, on Blu-ray, what's so funny about that is this, how fake that scene looks where um, uh, Dee Wallace's husband is getting it on with the female werewolf chick. That looks like such a cartoon now. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. But but it is. I mean, was that before American Werewolf in London? No, I was after. Yeah, it was that, after. yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Was a, I, I yeah. love it though i think it's one of the best werewolf movies ever i love the howling i I just i just american werewolf in london like i maybe watched that once or twice because when i saw it as a kid it's one of the movies that scared the crap out of me like it just like i saw like right when it came out and i was just like holy crap i've never seen like something change like that i was like oh my lord my husband finally admitted that that movie jacked him up too yeah no it's it's a that if you 
that that's that's a movie if people don't know they should definitely go and watch because that will scare the pants off you you know well what's the, the one that creeped the part that made him um uncomfortable he said was his friend kept coming back more rotten yeah. so as, as, <laughs> kept coming as his buddy kept coming back more rotten it really messed him up it's like I think, I think for me it was more the first that was the first time I seen some of like the really like graphic change that messed me up more than the rest of it yeah it was one of the first big ones yeah I I I have to agree that's a good choice uh, it's a good all right choice. all right all right I, I, I get a check <laughs> <laughs> do, good, do, good job. do good job all right uh, Mike what about you all right so I'm not sure what I'm dressing up as yet um I'm taking my Sun out trick or treating, and the last couple times we've gone, we've gotten people together, and we take beers with us so that we have a little a little thing of beer. So we'll see. I need to pick something. I have a couple gross things around the house I could do, but I might keep it a little tamer just because some of his friends are kind of young. But um, in terms of movies, though, I mean, I guess I'll do two because what I usually try to do is I have to do Creep Show every year because it's one of the best horror movies ever made, and that it totally um, it totally captures the vibe of the fun of Halloween and of horror. But I also try to do something that's new that maybe I haven't seen in a while or I haven't seen at all. So last year I did Bone Tomahawk um, as oh, something to branch out, nice. which was, yeah, that was pretty nasty. So this year, I'm not sure exactly what we'll have to see. I got a, I, I know it's not a big stretch, but I just got the Scream Factory Blu-ray of The Thing, which I'm trying to watch before then, which apparently is just, like a different movie so that'll be on the list too so did you read that thing about the the thing about the thing um <laughs> the uh the bit where they were talking to um a carpenter i think it was carpenter that said this and it could be all wrong but they said that um the way you could tell if someone was actually infected like they 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 gave a little hint like how a beam of light or how they lit like it would hit their eye yeah, I've read that. It was the, the eye light. Yep. Yeah, and that's how you knew who it was. And so that's why at the end, everybody thinks that it's Keith, I think it's Keith David, um, uh, and not, and not uh, uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Ah. Yeah. It, it would, yeah, it was him. He was talking about it in Dean Cundey, the DP, which that's Greg, it, Dean Cundey, I, that was talked it. About, I talked about Dean Cundey for years to death, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know, Dean Cundey, you know, he shot Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future. It's like like a million other movies. Um, he's basically a master of lighting and making things look real, even though they're all in a studio. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that that's true and that, you know, Dean Cundey is one of those guys that has such control of the lights that putting a little eye light in there, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, if he well, was it's like their that. little hint, and it's really, really awesome. Okay, so I guess... I guess because we kind of each of you got two, I'm going to give you two of mine. And, and these are two that you meet. One of them you probably have heard of and one of them you may not have heard of. Um, there is an awesome flick that, came, that was made in 2013 with my fake boyfriend, Charlton Copley, in it called Open Grave. And it mm. is a really, really, really amazing flick. It's a low-budget flick. Um, I, I I don't know quite what the full budget was for it, but it's not a lot. And it was um, – it's just was really great. It's a different take on uh, post-apocalyptic zombie. 
And what's cool is the guy, he Copley wakes up in this pit full of dead bodies. Like he's surrounded by dead pot bodies and he doesn't know how he got there. He has no memory and he doesn't know what happened. Did he kill these people? He has no idea. So he gets out and um, as the, the movie progresses, you find out um, what's happened, what's going on. And it's got Thomas Cretchen in it and it's just super good creepy well well acted and just a completely different it's it's a neat take on the zombie thing um and i highly recommend it and not enough people were talking about it when it came out nice but um yeah you guys totally totally would you guys would dig it just saying cool and um, the the other one, which I'm actually going to be writing a, a piece about that you'll find on the um, um, Fangirl, um, is what I consider probably one of the best versions of Frankenstein ever made. And it was one that was a mini series. Funnily enough, I believe it was done on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> <laughs> and but it's like it, it's uh, it's super super good, and it's two hours and fifty seven minutes long, so it's almost oh three God. hours. It is the entire story, and it has Luke Goss, Donald Sutherland, William Hurt, Alec Newman, and Julie Delpy in it. Um, and Luke Goss is one of the most amazingly beautiful and tragic and awesome Frankenstein's you'll ever see. He acts the shit out of that role, and he looks beautiful. There's the, no the main... singing in it, is there? No, there is no singing, <laughs> and there is no Kenneth Branagh going around. And, and there's, no his... sparkle, there's no sparkles in there? No, no. <laughs> the, thing with, um, the thing with this version is it's, it's a lot more like the, the creature in the book. He's, sure. well, it, he's well read. He's, he's not horrific. He's he looks he it just is really well done. I really, really like it. Um, So if you haven't seen it, it's it's Frankenstein, the complete miniseries. Um, I actually finally found it on DVD, but they usually show it every so every every year, I think um, somewhere on cable. And that's my choice. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a really well done version. It's the entire story. It's. It's all of it, and it's 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 kind of like that Louis Jordan massive Dracula that the BBC did. Uh, so it's the most close awesome. to the book you're going to find. So those are my two choices. I, I highly recommend you guys watch Open Grave though, because Mike and Greg, because you guys will totally dig it. I'll put it cool. on the list. That sounds great. Yeah, it's cool. it's beautifully shot too. So if you can find it on, I think you can find it on um, Blu-ray for probably less than ten dollars now because it's been out for a little bit. Nice. Highly recommended. Well, cool, guys. Thank you so much thank for coming on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. And uh, remember the contest. Uh, sign up before Halloween at drivinghorrorshow.com. Yeah, it goes. Um, the contest is going to start on the 20th of October through the 30th. And then um, uh, you pick them on Halloween. Yes, That's exactly. Right. Pick the winner. Yeah. So. Time. Yes, and spooky enough, it's on a Monday, which means everybody's going to be hungover on Tuesday. <laughs> yep. That sucks. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you so much. This was fun. Oh, and uh, we'll have all the links up for you guys on fangirlmag.com. <laughs>